Hi there. Let's continue with chapter 4. Amar entered the conversation at this point to disclaim any intention of returning to Haridwar with me. He was enjoying the fa- familial warmth, but I knew I would never abandon the quest for my guru. Our party en- entrained for Banaras. Then I had a singular and instant response to a prayer. A clever scheme had been pre-arranged by Ananta. Before seeing me in Haridwar, he had stopped in Banaras to ask a scriptural authority to interview me later. The Pandit and his son also had promised Ananta that they would attempt to dissuade me from becoming a sannyasi. Ananta took me to their home. The son, a young man of ebullient manner, greeted me in the courtyard. He engaged me in a lengthy philosophic discourse. Professing to have a clairvoyant knowledge of my future, he discountenanced my idea of being a monk. You will meet continual misfortune and be in, unable to find God if you insist on deserting your ordinary responsibilities. You cannot work out your past karma without worldly experiences. Immortal words from the Bhagavad Gita rose to my lips in reply. Even he with the worst of karma who ceaselessly meditates on me quickly loses the effects of his past bad actions. Becoming a high-souled being, he soon attains perennial peace. Know this for certain. The devotee who puts his trust in me never perishes. But the forceful prognostications of the young man had slightly shaken my confidence. With all the fervor of my heart, I prayed silently to God. Please solve my bewilderment and answer me right here and now. If thou dost desire me to lead the life of a Renekton or a worldly man. I noticed a sadhu of noble countenance standing just outside the compound of the pandit's house. Evidently, he had overheard the spirited conversation between the self-styled clairvoyant and me, for the stranger called me to his side. I felt a tremendous power flowing from his calm eyes. Son, don't listen to that ignorance. In response to your prayer, the Lord tells me to assure you that your sole path in this life is that of the renunciate. With astonishment as well as gratitude, I smiled happily at the decisive message. Come away from that man. The ignorance was calling me from the courtyard. My saintly guide raised his hand in blessing and slowly departed. That sadhu is just as crazy as you are. It was the hoary-headed pundit who made this charming observation. He and his son were gazing at me lugubriously. I have heard that he too has left his home in a vague search of God. I turned away. To Ananta, I remarked that I would not engage in further discussions with our hosts. My discouraged brother agreed to an immediate departure. We soon entrained for Calcutta. Mr. Detective, how did you discover I had fled with two companions? I vented my lively curiosity to Ananta during our homeward journey. 
he smiled mischievously. At your school, I found that Amar had left his classroom and had not returned. I went to his home and the next morning, the unearthed and unearthed a marked timetable. Amar's father was just leaving by carriage and was talking to the coachman. My son will not ride me with me, with me to his school this morning. He has disappeared. The father moaned. I heard from a brother coachman that your son and two others dressed in European suits boarded the train at Howrah station, the man stated. They made a present of their leather shoes to the cab driver. Thus, I had three clues, the timetable, the trio of boys and the English clothing. I was listening to Ananta's disclosures with mingled mirth and vexation. Our generosity to the coachman had been slightly misplaced. Of course, I rushed to send telegrams to station officials in all the cities that Amar had underlined in the timetable. He had checked Barili, so I wired your friend Varaka there. After inquiries in our Calcutta neighborhood, I learned that cousin Jatinda had been absent one night but had arrived home the following morning in the European garb. I sought him out and invited him to dinner. He accepted, quite disarmed by my friendly manner. On the way, I led him unsuspectingly to a police station. He was surrounded by several officers whom I had previously selected for their ferocious appearance. Under their formidable gaze, Jatanta agreed to account for his mysterious conduct. I started for the Himalayas in a buoyant, spiritual mood, he explained. Inspiration filled me at the prospect of meeting the masters. But as soon as Mukunta said, during our ecstasies in the Himalayan caves, tigers will be spellbound and sit around us like tame pussies, my spirits froze. Beads of perspiration formed on my brow. What then? I thought. If the vicious nature of the tigers be not changed through the power of our spiritual trance, shall they treat us with the kindness of house cats? In my mind's eye, I already saw myself the compulsory, compulsory inmate of some tiger's stomach, entering there not at once with the whole body, but by installments of its several parts. My anger at Jatanta's vanishment evaporated in laughter. The hilarious explanation of the train was worth all the anguish he had caused me. I must confess to a slight feeling of satisfaction. Jatanta too had not escaped an encounter with the police. Ananta, you are a born slith hound. My glance of amusement was not without some exaggeration. And I shall tell Jatinda, I'm glad he was prompted by no mood of treachery, as it appeared, but only by the prudent instinct of self-preservation. At home in Calcutta, father touchingly requested me to curb my roving feet until at least the completion of my high school studies. In my absence, he had lovingly hatched a plot by arranging for a saintly pundit Swami Kebala Nanda to come regularly to the house. 
the sage will will be your sanskrit tutor my parent announced confidently father hoped to satisfy my religious earnings by instruction from a learned philosopher but the tables were subtly turned my tu- my new teacher far from offering intellectual artifacts fanned the embers of my god aspiration anun to father swami kebalananda was an exalted disciple of lahri mahasaya the peerless guru had possessed thousands of disciples disciples silently drawn to him by the irresistibility of his divine magnetism i learned later that lahri mahasaya had often characterized kebalananda as rishi or illumined sage luxuriant curls framed my tutor's handsome face his dark eyes were gulous and with the transparency of a child's all the movements of his slight body were marked by a restful deliberation ever gentle and loving he was firmly established in the infinite consciousness many of our happy hours together were spent in deep kriya meditation kebalananda was a noted authority on the ancient shastras or sacred books his erudition had earned him the title of shastri mahasaya by which he was usually addressed i sought every opportunity to forsake prosaic grammars and to talk of yoga and lahri mahasaya at the time of our meeting kebalananda had not yet joined the swami order and was generally generally called shastri mahasaya to avoid confusion with the name of lahri mahasaya and the and of master mahasaya i am referring to my sanskrit tutor only by his later monastic name of swami kebalananda his biography has been recently published in bengali born in kulana district of bengal now in bangladesh in 1863 kebalananda gave up his body in banaras at the age of 68 his family name was ashutosh chatterjee my tutor obliged me one day by telling me something of his own life with the master rarely fortunate i was able to remain near lahri mahasaya for 10 years his banaras home was my nightly goal of pilgrimage the guru was al- always present in a small front parlor on the first floor as he sat in the lotus posture on a backless wooden seat his disciples garlanded him in a semicircle his eyes sparkled and danced with the joy with the joy of the divine they were ever half closed peering through the inner telescopic orb with into a sphere of eternal bliss he seldom spoke at length occasionally his gaze whirled focus on a student in need of help healing words poured then like an avalanche of light an indescribable peace blossomed within me at the master's glance i was permeated with his fragrance as though from a lotus of infinity to be with him even without exchanging a word of for days was experience with which changed my entire being if any invisible barrier rose in the path of my concentration i would meditate at the guru's feet 
there the most tenuous states came easily with within my grasp such perceptions eluded me in the presence of lesser teachers the master was a living temple of god whose secret doors were open to all disciples through devotion lehri mahasaya was no bookish interpreter of the scriptures effortlessly he dipped into the divine library form of words and spray of thoughts gushed from the mountain of his omniscience he had the wondrous clavis that unlocked the profound philosophical science hidden ages ago in the vedas over 100 canonical books of, of the ancient four vedas are extant in his journal emerson paid this tribute to vedic thought it is sublime as heat and night and a breathless ocean it contains every religious sentiment all the grand epics which visit in turn each noble poetic mind it is of no use to put away the book if i trust myself in the woods or in a boat upon the pond nature makes a brahman of me presently eternally necessity eternal compensation unfathomable power unbroken silence this is her creed peace she said to me and purity and absolute abandonment then these pakias expiate all sin and bring you to the beatitude of the eight gods if asked to explain the different planes of consciousness mentioned in the ancient text he would smilingly assent i will undergo those states and presently tell you what i perceive he was thus diametrically unlike the teachers who commit scripture to memory and then give forth unrealized abstractions please expound the holy stanzas as a meaning occurs to you the taktitan guru often gave this instruction to a nearby disciple i will guide your thoughts that the right interpretation be uttered in this way many of lahri mahasaya's perceptions came to be recorded with voluminous commentaries by various students the master never counseled slavish belief words are only shells he said win conviction of god's presence through your own joyous contact in meditation no matter what the disciples problem the guru advised kriya yoga for its solution the yogic key will not lose its efficiency when i am no longer present in the body to guide you this technique cannot be bound filed and forgotten in the manner of a theoretical inspirations continue ceaselessly on your path to liberation through kriya whose power lies in practice i myself consider kriya the most effective device of salvation through self effort never ever to be evolved in man's search for the infinite kabalananda concluded that his earnest testimony through its use the omnipotent god hidden in all men became visibly incarnated in the flesh of lahri mahasaya and of number of his disciples a christ like miracle by lahri mahasaya took place in the kabalanda's presence my saintly tutor recounted the story one day his eyes remote from the sanskrit texts on the table before us a blind disciple ramu aroused my actual pity 
should he have no light in his eyes when he faithfully served a master in whom the divine was fully blazing one morning i sought to speak to ramu but he sat for pa- patient hours fanning the guru with a handmade palm leaf pankha when the devotee finally left the room i followed him ramu how long have you been blind from my birth sir never have my eyes been blessed with a glimpse of the sun our omnipotent guru can help you please make a supplication the following day ramu diffidently approached lahri mahasaya the disciple felt almost ashamed to ask that physical wealth be added to her spiritual superabundance master the illuminator of the cosmos is in you i pray you to bring his light into my eyes that i perceive the sun's lesser glow ramu someone has convinced to put me in a difficult position i have no healing power sir the infinite one within you can certainly heal that is indeed different ramu god's limit is nowhere he who ignites the stars in the cells of flesh with mysterious life effulgence can surely bring the luster of vision into your eyes the master touched ramu's forehead at the point between the eyebrows keep your mind concentrated there and frequently chant the name of the prophet rama for 7 days the splendor of the sun shall have a special dawn for you lo in one week it was so for the first time ramu beheld the fair fair face of nature the omniscient one had unerringly directed his disciple to repeat the name of rama adored by him above all other saints ramu's faith was the devotionally ploughed soil in which the guru's powerful seed of permanent healing sprouted kebalananda was silent for a moment then paid a further tribute to his guru it was evident in all miracles performed by lahri mahasaya that he never allowed the ego principle to consider itself a causative force by the perfection of his surrender to the prime, prime healing power the master enabled it to flow freely through him the numerous bodies that were spectacularly healed through lahri mahasaya eventually had to feed the flames of cremation but the silent spiritual awakening see affected the christ like disciples he fashioned are his imperishable miracles i never became a sanskrit scholar kebalanda taught me a diviner syntax seeing he sees indeed who sees that works our nature's wont for soul to practice by acting yet not the agent albeit i be unborn undying indestructible the lord of all living things not the less by maya by my magic which i stamp on floating nature forms the primal vast i come and go and come hard it is to pierce that wheel divine of various shows which hideth me yet they who worship me 
pierce it and pass beyond. Bhagavad Gita, Arnold's translation. So there ends chapter 4. Thanks for listening.